0: all right well welcome to the explore Oregon podcast I'm your host Zach Arness and in each episode we highlight oregon's most beautiful and interesting places this podcast is brought to you by the american forest resource council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the pacific northwest learn more at amforests.org. we're also supported by visit tillamook coast a land of ocean and forests just an hour from the willamette valley that is focusing this summer on the best way to care for its forest, beaches, and waterways through a promotion that emphasizes cleaning up and leaving no trace. We'll dive into how they do that just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to enjoy parks safely this summer. If you're camping, please follow campfire safety guidelines such as keeping the flames from your fire to no more than two feet in height and using the firing provided at your campsite. And please use local wood to avoid bringing invasive insects into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forest for seasons to come. Learn more about campfire guidelines, including current restrictions at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we've got a special one. We're looking at the unique way biologists are attempting to save wild salmon and keep flood control dams in the upper Willamette Basin. In short, it involves taking salmon on a road trip in a fish taxi, and we're going to dive into exactly how it works. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. in this episode we're going to do something that is just a little bit different it's based more on some in-depth reporting that i've been doing and the focus of this is going to be on a multi-billion dollar plan that aims to do two paradoxical things so the plan here is to save endangered salmon in the willamette basin while also keeping in place 13 dams that stop flooding in the willamette valley See, dams and wild fish do not coexist well, and that is particularly true in the Willamette Basin, where dams block 70 to 100 percent of spawning habitat in tributaries like the Sanium, the Mackenzie, and the Upper Willamette. If you're a fish that needs to migrate from the river to the ocean and back, having giant impassable dams, you know, it's a major problem. To get around that, fish biologists actually take wild salmon on road trips around the dams. And this is a practice that they're planning to expand. Basically, the salmon are collected from the base of these dams, loaded onto trucks with huge water tanks, driven around the dams and released into the upper river where the best spawning habitat is found. It's a very expensive and intensive process, but it's kind of the only hope to stop their extinction. At one point, there were around 300,000 spring Chinook salmon in the upper Willamette Basin. Today, only 4,000 to 7,000 remain. So here's Greg Taylor, the lead fish biologist for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, explaining why this practice of getting fish into the upper rivers above the dams is so important.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really important because if we're ever gonna improve the status of spring Chinook in this basin, we, we have to use the high quality habitat above the dams. The bulk of the historic habitat for Spring Chinook in the basin is above large Army Corps of Engineers dams. And so really if you're ever going to improve their numbers, you've got to get the fish up there, help them utilize that habitat, um, reestablish those populations, and sustain them, or or you're not going to improve the status of these fish long term.
0: But okay, let me step back a little. So over the past six months, I've written a bunch of stories about the future of water in the Willamette Basin. The Army Corps of Engineers is in the process of deciding how to manage 500 trillion gallons of fresh water. That's trillion with a T. And this is in Oregon's most populous region. So it's a big deal. And in a nutshell, this process comes down to this idea of, for lack of a better term, our quest to have the best of both worlds or you know, if you're a little more cynical, having our cake and eating it too. This is something that I think about a lot in reporting on natural resources. And in a simplistic way, what I'm talking about here is this idea that we want wood for houses, but we also want forests and old growth trees. We want smartphones and electric cars, but we also don't want to mine special places where the materials for these devices might be found. We want affordable food, but we don't really like industrial farming. Like it's possible, but it's hard. And it's about how you split the difference and how much money you're willing to spend. So in this case, we put up 13 dams from around 1930 to 1960. And the whole point of them was to stop catastrophic floods in the Willamette Valley so we could build the cities we wanted to build. The dams also provide hydropower and reservoirs for recreation, irrigation, and drinking water. So Salem, for example, gets his drinking water from the North Sanium River because that's cleaner than the Willamette. But without Detroit Reservoir, it couldn't do it. Like if Detroit Lake wasn't there storing water, Salem would not have enough water for its population at this point. So we want these dams, but we also want wild salmon. They're a foundational part of indigenous societies. They're on the Oregon license plate. They're good to eat. They're good for the economy, everybody loves wild salmon that swim from the ocean, return to spawn and repeat that life cycle. And they're protected under the Federal Endangered Species Act. But it's just hard to have both, to have the best of both worlds, to have our cake and eat it too. And that's what the Corps is planning to try and make happen in the coming decade by moving these fish above the dams and then getting them back below. And that's how we get to the fish taxi or the fish bus or the fish uber whatever you want to call it i traveled with the army corps to two different sites cougar dam on the south fork mckenzie and fall creek dam on fall creek where the fish were moved in this way that they call trap and truck and taylor the core biologist talked about why this process is so necessary
1: yeah it's it's a salmon bus trip a, a salmon uber i mean they're not paying for a ride but i mean this is a highly modified system, right? I mean, this is this is not the Willamette River of 300 years ago, or 200 years ago, or even 100 years ago. It is it's a highly modified system. Our dams, because of their flood control mission and the, the operation for, for flood control, where they, you know, can change elevation by up to almost 200 feet in some cases annually. They don't allow for volitional ladders. You know, ladders where fish could just swim on their own over the dams. It's just not possible. So we're in a situation where we have to intervene. And we do this thing called trap and haul, where the fish are trapped, we load them on a truck, and we we transport them upstream
0: as quickly as possible and let them, you know, let them do their thing, let them complete their life cycle. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. But when we return, we'll travel on the fish taxi on the salmon road trip and see how it all works. So that's when we return.
1: I'm Tiffany Roddy with Roseburg Forest Products. As a professional forester, I was drawn to Oregon by the trees and the vastness of Oregon's majestic outdoors. I'm proud to work for a family-owned, fully integrated wood products company with a deep commitment to our industry and our communities. Roseburg's sustainably managed timberlands are open for recreation and provide natural wood products that help make people's lives better from the ground up. We are proud members of AFRC, sponsor of the Explorer Oregon podcast. Learn more at amforest.org.
0: This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. On the Tillamook Coast, we've cared for our forests, farmlands, beaches, and waterways for generations. It's in our DNA, and we bet it's in yours too. While visiting, help us care for our coast. Place trash in garbage cans, pick up after your pet, stay on trails, respect private property, and follow beach fire rules, which means extinguishing fires with water, while also checking local rules to avoid igniting wildfires. Tilma Coast welcomes your visit, and we hope that you'll become a temporary local while here. A few ways to do that include pitching in on a beach cleanup or taking a guided kayak tour to hear about ways to protect bays and rivers. There are science hikes to take, nature preserves and marine reserves to explore, or you can visit a farm, a commercial fishing dock, or even stop by a fish hatchery. Find out about all these options and how to care for our coast at tillamoccoast.com slash caring for our coast. Once again, it's TillamookCoast.com slash caring for our coast. Okay, welcome back. Okay, so we've talked about this idea, but let's look at how it actually works in practice. To find out, we met salmon at two dams who'd already been on a long journey. So the fish that we met had all swam hundreds of miles from the ocean and up the Columbia, up the Willamette, and then either up Fall Creek or the South Fork Mackenzie. And that's where they ran into dams, Cougar and Fall Creek dams that they cannot pass. It's kind of funny because Before the fish are loaded into the fish taxi or the salmon bus, whatever you want to call it, they go through this system known as fish Disneyland. And this fish Disneyland is basically a system of chutes and ladders used for getting them from the base of the dam and then up into the trucks that move them. So here's Taylor again, explaining how it works.
1: Spring Chinook salmon return to the base of these dams um, starting in May. the bulk of the run comes back in the month of June, and then we have fish come in in July, August, and September. When they get to the base of the dam to get transported upstream, they have to send a fish ladder, they get trapped, and then um, we start to process them by operating a flume that helps them come out of the trap down to a place where we collect them, we anesthetize them, we collect data, and then ultimately they're loaded on a truck and transported above the
0: dams and released upstream. It's pretty funny to watch the salmon go from the trap and then go down the flume, which is basically a long metal water slide. And then they splash down into this pool below where they're anesthetized and basically take a little salmon snooze. They're measured, they're placed in the tank that flushes them down into the truck. Throughout the whole process, they're barely touched at all you know, by, by people. And this has been uh, a focus of improving this process of moving them above the dam is as little human interaction as possible. Another fun part of this process is after, you know, the truck drives upstream and it gets above the dam and it gets into the upper river of these two places, they are released in a big rush of water that spews out from the back of the truck and it sends the salmon out there. And Taylor told me that sometimes they'll swim around and kind of to get their bearings and then actually jump out of the water almost like a porpoise or a a dolphin as though they're saying, ah, that feels good. Like that water feels like home. And once they're home, and despite all the disruption that the dams have brought, the wild salmon that they release will go and spawn at the same place that their ancestors did, you know, over a hundred years ago, which is kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing we find with the fish that have been produced from above here so they're, they were spawned up here, their parents spawned up here, they were wild progeny that moved down through our dam and then came back and we released them up here. One thing we find is they go back to the exact same habitats that were hot spots for wild fish before the dams were in place. Identically. I mean, we're talking this, these very specific chunks of river that researchers in the late 30s that were investigating these areas on horseback we're saying are hey these are the hot spots for of salmon and these fish know where to go
0: and they know what to do and they find these spots and and they're genetically programmed to do it so that's the goal the goal is establishing these fish populations above the dams that's what they're doing at a handful of sites right now but to improve the numbers into the future there's this huge investment being proposed right now that would build more fish taxis and more fish Disney Worlds to increase the number of wild salmon above the dams and put them in places like Quartzville Creek, uh, the Middle and North Sanium Rivers, the Upper Forks of the Willamette. In some of these cases, there has not been a salmon population up there since the dams. Like uh, above Foster Reservoir, above Foster Dam, 100% of the habitat has been cut off you know, ever since the dams were in place and they wanna take advantage of that habitat to rebuild these salmon runs of spring Chinook. Which sounds great, but there is a two-fold catch here. First, doing this is extremely expensive. It'll cost at least $2 billion of new money. That's, again, billion with a B. We've got trillion in terms of the fresh water that we're talking about and then billion in terms of dollars. And if you were to consider all that money, and how many fish are actually left right now, you're investing north of $200,000 in each fish that's currently in the system in the hopes that they are gonna proliferate and rebuild those populations. That's a lot of money. And plenty of people would say, hey, maybe that should go towards, I don't know, public education, affordable housing. You can do a lot with $2 billion and maybe endangered salmon aren't the best place for it. I've heard that argument for sure. And that brings us to the second catch. There's no guarantee this will actually work. In some places, like the Clackamas, this method of moving fish has shown promise. It's started to rebuild those salmon runs. But in the Deschutes, it really hasn't worked that well. And it doesn't even take into account all the things that might torpedo salmon that have nothing to do with dams from the ocean heating up due to climate change to them just being eaten by sea lions on their return journey. So here's Taylor again, striking a note of, you know, both optimism and realism. You know,
1: I always say, I think with my heart and my head, right? So my heart says, pour yourself into this completely. This can happen. You can do this. The fish can do this. Uh, the Fall Creek fish, right where we're sitting right now, I, they are the underdog of spring chinook salmon. They are in a subpar habitat. They're hanging on. They're making it happen. And then there's my head. You know, my head knows all about the challenges that these fish ch- that they face. Climate change. Harvest you know, impacts the hatchery programs. Our, our system of dams and the hydropower system and the influence that has, which is huge. Predation in the lower river from seals, from smallmouth bass, you know, and it just kind of goes on and on and on. So that's the head part, right? Where I'm going, well, this is going to be tough. But my heart,
0: I always want my heart to win. Okay, so like I said, there's a lot more to this story. And if you're interested, you can read all of my reporting on this subject in the Statesman Journal or RegisterGuard.com on our websites. And again, I'll put links to all the different reporting I've done on this on the webpage for this podcast. But it's a fascinating thing what's happening at the dams and reservoirs in the Willamette Basin. And I'm curious to see where it all goes in the future. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you like what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council, AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest, our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.